my name is Emma Lasko, and this is The Pilot's Pandemic. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it's me, Emma, again. I am back today with the one and only Shelby Elizabeth Lasko, my lovely and beautiful mom. How are you today, Shelby? I'm doing great, Em. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I feel so professional right now talking to you like this. So, guys, I kind of wanted to have my mom on, um, you know, because I think her story is definitely really unique. And it's something that um, not just, you know, women and wives, but I think, you know, men as well, husbands can kind of relate to this story um, and, you know, what she has to bring to the table as far as her side of things. So I just kind of wanted to get on here and we're going to have just, you know, a little conversation about everything that happened or, um, you know, everything that happened that day and the events leading up to it so anyways here we go so um first I just want to ask you how are you I'm doing good but like how are you well are you okay I'm okay it's been almost four years it's still hard yeah it's hard for all of us (laughs) yeah I mean who doesn't who doesn't um David was the love of my life and I miss him dearly I'm sorry mom I'm sorry. So, I don't know, you know, where you really want to begin. Um, and it's okay to be, you know, raw and vulnerable. Um, that's the thing I love about this podcast is I've kept it really, really real. Um, and I plan on continuing to keep it that way. So, I just want to ask you, you know, what was it like being a captain's wife? What was it like being a pilot's wife? Well, it was sometimes hard, but in the beginning it was fun. Um, I was based in Charlotte because I was a German speaker, which didn't last very long. (laughs) But I was in Charlotte for three years. I was the most junior flight attendant and, um, for three years. And David was one of the youngest, most, he wasn't junior actually, but he was one of the youngest captains we had. And so everybody wanted us to meet and we met and I was 23 going on 24 when I met him. He would have been, what, let's see, he was like 27, I think, when I met him. But um, we had a lot of fun in the beginning. We flew together. Um, What are some places that you guys used to fly to together? Well, he used to, every now and then when he first met me, if I had an international flight, if he was off, he would fly. He'd just come non-rev on the flight with me, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. He did that to Germany one time and I think London one time. But um, later on, after we dated for three years, we got married and then we would fly together a lot. And um, we'd do, um, you know, just East Coast stuff because I think he was on the 737 then, Captain. So, Florida, um, New York, that kind of stuff. Um, but at that point, I finally gained some seniority. So, I he was, like, sort of less senior in his position. So, like, I could jump on his trips. So, they weren't great layovers, but it was just fun to be with him. Understandable. Understandable. I bet you all made some good, good memories. And a, being able to be in a position where you're that young and you get to travel, you know, like that is just incredible. I think that's why people are so attracted to this industry is because of, you know, the memories that you're going to make along the way. It's such a cool job. Well, he would constantly, it was a bit irritating sometimes because he'd want me to be the A flight attendant, which is first class flight. And I didn't like working first class, but he wanted me up front so he could bug me all the time. And 
And so I'd try to work the back and he'd still bug me. He'd call me on the phone constantly. Hey, you got to see this. Look out the window. Come up here. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'd be like, look, I'm working back here. I can't constantly be coming onto the cockpit to look at something look at, out the window. Look at a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Which things were different back then because it was before 9-11. So, you know, we could walk up in the cockpit during flight. And so I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because when you and dad, um, you know, first started in the industry... 9-11 was not a thing yet. Um, I kind of wanted to talk to you about how how much different it was back then. It was a lot different. Very different. Now, you know, you, I, I even... So, I back then things were just so different. I just don't even know how to explain it. Like, you could walk up in the cockpit. You could sit down and talk to the pilots for a little bit. It wasn't... We weren't worried about somebody coming up there and killing the pilots all the time. Um later on in life once I quit and I started non-revving with your dad like when you guys were old enough that I could go away on weekends and he was flying international it would sort of hurt me he wouldn't he from the time we got to the airport and I was sitting at the gate getting on the airplane he would act like he didn't know me because he didn't want anyone to know that his wife was on the airplane because he was afraid that um, they would use me you know come up and 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 he was also um carried a weapon uh, and flight deck officer flight deck officer so you know they taught him a lot in training when they did that that you know you don't ever want them to know that you've got family on the airplane because they could use that you know hold a knife to your throat and try use to use you as collateral to yeah. get you out of the cockpit so it was a little hard it was majorly different and you know and it, I had to adjust but if I wanted to go with him that's just that was his rules. <laughs> I just had to do it. Well, that's how it was, you know. Um, like I spoke to Justin on Pilot to Pilot, I, you know, was describing that to him a little bit. How when we used to non-rev, um, growing up, we were not allowed to acknowledge my father. Um, absolutely forbidden. And I mean, we didn't. It it did scare all four of us. You know, me and my brother and sister, and my mom. I feel like. It definitely was something that we were thinking about a lot. So, you know, the minute, I mean, the minute we walked past, you know, security, it was like, don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't acknowledge me. Um, I'm a stranger to you. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot different now. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's for the better. It is for the best. It is for the best. So, I kind of wanted to talk to you about some of, um, you know, dad's fears. Well, right away when I'm... Sorry guys, we got um cut off there. Somebody tried calling my phone and um it immediately ended the recording. So I was asking my mom, um, you know, what were some of my dad's fears as a pilot? Um Well, from the day I met your dad, he he ate very healthy, very boring diet <laughs> of fish. He used to go to Alaska almost every year and fish, so he always had a lot of fish, salmon and halibut and he liked beans and rice and beans. And he, he cooked out of this uh, cookbook called Jane Brody's Good for You or Good Food Living or something like that. But it, I, and I, that was fine. I embraced it. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I was more meat and potatoes kind of person. So it was an adjustment. But um, I have to say, David opened up my eyes to a lot of new foods and things. And um, that was wonderful. But from the very beginning, he was concerned about his cholesterol. It was always sort of borderline. And he did tend to be a bit hyper, you know. Very high, strong anal man. Anal retentive, you know. <laughs> type A personality. Type A personality, yeah, sorry. I don't, but um, he, so he, he tried to be very healthy. Um, 
it got a little harder when we had your we had the kids because of course you know you're trying to cook stuff for the kids and we never really did like a whole lot of junk food or hot dogs yeah no i was about to say we um my mom cooked like a home meal homemade meal uh, every single night like we very rarely went out um we were all really blessed growing up to have you know a mom that was able to put food on the table like that and healthy food yeah, and he would he didn't really like to eat a lot of steak, so we would have steak every now and then. So he was really strict about his diet, and he was trying to keep things under control. He was very scared. He did not ever want to go to the doctor and like have to be on some kind of uh, cholesterol medicine or um, or high blood pressure medicine. So he was always sort of running and hiding, I guess, from the doctor. If <laughs> you could say. Um, like I said, his, his blood cholesterol is always borderline and, um, borderline high and the doctors, you know, would want to prescribe something, but he wouldn't do it. And, um, he tried to really do everything he could to control it, but I don't really think he can ended up controlling it. And I think a lot of it was hereditary. Um, but so, yeah, well, I mean, explain, you know, the, the, the history with the heart issues in the family. Well, so, um, all the family fathers before him, his father died in, I think at 45, I'm not sure on that one, but it was in his 40s, and his grandfather died early in his 40s, and I want to say the great-grandfather died early too, so it was a family history, and in fact, when he died, I had an autopsy done because I was concerned about a couple things um, that had been done to him beforehand, before he died, and also... I was concerned about, you know, some kind of weird hereditary disease or something like that that could have um, been making this happen through the generations. So, and let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, his autopsy. So when, which we'll get into, we'll get into, it's two different stories, but we'll get into that later. Um, but when my dad died, they um, wanted to immediately just go ahead and mark, um a cause of death as a heart attack. Um, and we knew, you know, we knew that, you know, our dad was having heart issues, but we definitely wanted to know, you know, what was wrong. But the minute that you, you know, put it down and, and, you know, assume the cause of death, there's no autopsy afterwards. So right after he died, I had to call, you know, multiple hospitals, speak to multiple different doctors and, get that pushed through, um, and get that changed because they didn't want to do any research. Um, and so mom, I just want, I kind of want you to explain to, you know, what, what I already know, you know, to the masses about, um, what happened with his autopsy. Well, first of all, I want to explain some things that really shocked me, um, about death. And one is, is that your dad was a heart donor, not a heart donor, sorry, a um, organ donor. And I started receiving phone calls right away, like within probably an hour after his death, um, calling me about wanting to get him um, to get the things they wanted to take from him. It sounds so awful. It's that, well, it's, and if you use the real term, it it would be harvesting the organs, but it's just kind of, kind of, um, it was just strange. They were calling me, calling me and they're like, you don't understand how important this is. If, if we really are going to harvest anything, we need to get him like right away to the hospital. So I think they took him over to Duke university hospital in Raleigh. 
Um, and then I found a doctor that would said he was going to do an autopsy. So again, pretty gruesome. He had to get a hold of his heart and the brain. Don't know why, but um, that's what they do. And then, um, so I had I paid for the autopsy. Um, I called the doctor several times. Um, I was concerned about a stint that was put in the bottom of his heart. Um, so it, it was a 2.5 millimeter and the area was only two millimeters large. So at first David didn't look very well. Like after his second, after that. Wow. It happened again. Um, my phone is just, people want to call, call me today. Of course, right now of all times, um, my phone decides to ring. So, um, my mom was saying that before my dad died, he started to look really um, unhealthy. Yeah, he was really pale and didn't look well. Um, after his first stint that he had put in in, in Charlotte at uh, Carolina's Medical Center, he looked fine. He looked, looked great. healthy. Um, he was running again. Um, after the second one, um, he didn't look good. Um, they put a 2.5 millimeter stint in a 2 millimeter area in the bottom of his heart where he had ischemia. Um, so right away, I wanted to see if something had happened with that, but in the long run, the doctor talked to me and said that he just had had several heart attacks, his heart wall was damaged, etc. but he would never give me the autopsy, which, a report, which is still very frustrating. I paid, I think it was $3,000 for that autopsy, and I still have no report and we're going on four years now so i just i just want to emphasize that a little bit for and, and clear that up for people who don't understand so after my dad died um my mom you know kind of went out of her way to have a medical examiner really really look at my dad's body to try and figure out what was wrong because we had suspicions that the last stint that was placed in his heart could have caused his death um and when she went to pay three thousand dollars for this autopsy um and like she said it's been four years now they refuse to give us the autopsy yeah the doctor said that he told me enough and i don't know you know it's not a big deal he didn't know why he had to give me a report but um i just thought that would be part of what i got when you order an autopsy you get an autopsy report but yep. didn't never receive that so it kind of makes you wonder, you know, after, because, um, which we didn't really talk about, but so that last stint that was put in, um, the doctor who did that was on the board, like, of, of the, the, for the FAA, um, to, he, he was somebody who, his surgeon doctor worked with pilots to try and get them back on the flight line, but he worked with the government. Um, and so I, I find it, kind of find it a little bit, suspicious that um you know after paying the money that she's paid and it's you know four years later they still will not give us that autopsy it almost kind of makes me feel like you know somebody was paid to keep a secret or somebody's been paid to be quiet um like does that does it feel like that to you after the conversation that you had with the medical examiner um it feels strange um yes i talked to a doctor he was head of um the heart department at Duke and he was actually very shocked that dad had died. Um, he called me back and he was really upset. He was his doctor after he came back from Texas. He was the one who sort of oversaw your dad and checked on him and you know um, he had done some EEC or ECP treatment sorry at Duke and um, that doctor 
was the one overseeing all that too. But um, I can't point fingers at anybody. I don't know. Um, it is a little weird because uh, actually David had lost his best friend about three or four years before that and his wife had an autopsy done and she got her report <laughs> so i don't yeah. know <laughs> uh -huh. so it, it definitely feels it feels kind of it, it feels definitely strange it definitely raises concern and, and definitely you know shoots up some red flags um but i wanted to ask you um you know, kind of the emotions that went into that day that he died, because I know it was definitely a shock to all of us, just like you said, it was shocking to that doctor even that dad had died, because he was, um, if I remember you telling me correctly, y'all were in the process of doing all the paperwork, he was about ready to go back to work. Yes, he had just passed his nuclear stress test and um, was getting ready, we were waiting for, they do the reviews, I don't know if it's every four weeks or every six weeks, but we weren't sure if he was going to get in on the next review. It depended on how many cases there were in front of him. So he was excited. He was ready to go back to work. Um, he was working out really hard, running. He's always been a runner, um, but he was trying to get his his miles, uh, um, minutes per mile down. And he had been down to running seven minute miles. And <laughs> he was really pushing hard to stay healthy and, you know, stay in shape yeah um but the day he died was really strange it was um it was a weird day i i got up well first of all david and i were very close we we didn't really have a whole lot of friends we were sort of each other's best friend and um i remember we got up in the morning and he didn't look good that day he looked very pale and he was gonna go out running um he had dropped my daughter off at work and left Me. a car with her, yeah, Emma, and then was going to run back over to Colony Tire where our truck had been um, having, like, the tires rotated and oil changed or something like that. But um, I just remember sitting at the table with him and looking at him like, hmm. And it was a weird day, too, because I had put hand cream on and the night before, it's one of my rituals, and I when I took my rings off, I couldn't find them. So I was really worried. I, I was worried that, like, they were stuck on me or something, and I had gotten up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and I flushed them down the toilet or something. And so I was sort of flipping out about my, my engagement ring and my wedding band, and um, he... Um, he helped me. We pulled the whole bed apart and took the sheets off and um, looked everywhere, looked under the bed, couldn't find him. So finally I was like, all right, we'll just go ahead and um, take him to the car. They'll turn up hopefully. And so he said goodbye. I love you. He went out the door. And um, after he left, I still had my pajamas on. So I went back in the bedroom and um, to get dressed. And when I took my shirt off, my rings fell out of my shirt. They were stuck to my back which is really weird, but it was just sort of a weird moment. And I remember I was so excited and that I hadn't lost them. So I kept trying to call him and I was calling him and I was calling him and I was calling him and he wasn't picking up. And that was really strange for him. And, and I was like, what is going on? I just had a really good feeling that day. Feeling. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Something wasn't right. Gosh, it, I mean, it gives me chills just speaking about it. And mom, I just want to say, you know, and I'll look you in your eye, not down at the microphone, but I'm, I admire you. I think you're so strong and, you know, coming on this podcast today and telling this story, um, 
I just, I admire you a lot. And I think you're a really, really awesome person. And you're, you're more than a mom. You're, you're a human being and you're an awesome person. And I just really appreciate you doing everything that you've done for me and the kids and our family after, after our dad died, because I know that you two really not, not codependent in a bad way, but you guys needed each other to survive in a way y'all were each other's best friends. So I can't even imagine the loss that you felt. I mean, I lost my father, but you lost your best friend. Um, and it's just, I, I just love you so much and I appreciate you coming on here, but well, thank I, you, Emma. I don't want to get carried away, but I kind of wanted you to just keep on going. And um, um, yeah. So to finish the day story, it was um, like I said, it was really eerie. And then um, I had saw a friend that I had been friends with in the past, and we had sort of grown apart. Um, but in the the week before David died, um, I had saw her with her kids, and we hadn't been close in a while, and um we kept running into each other and we were starting to talk more and more. And, and I remember telling David the day before we'd seen them at the Mexican restaurant in town. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that we talked and really happy that I saw Natalie. I, I really, you know, I miss them and it would be great to be friends with them again. We just sort of grown apart with stupid kid stuff, you know? And so yeah, just some, <laughs> just some back backstory and a little bit of context. Um, they they were you know more than just mom's friend but you know um I don't want to say names because I haven't talked to them but they we're, we won't say last name um but the the father um Natalie's Natalie's husband was my dad's really good friend um they had three kids um Newburn is the middle child she was my best childhood friend um growing up we were like freaking frack and um it was really kind of funny because the night before my dad died, like she was saying, they were talking about it. And my dad came up to me and he said, um, you know, I, I really wish that you and newbie would be friends again. I really love her. And I just think that, I think that she needs to be in your life again. I think that you really need her. Um, cause I was going through a little bit of a time. I, you know, had just graduated high school. I really had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, I was sort of struggling with my identity a little bit um, and who I wanted to be. I was watching all my friends go to college um, and I was homeschooled through high school. And so I knew that, you know, I could have gone to college, but I still felt like school just wasn't what was going to fulfill me. Um, but anyways, I had spoken to my father literally the night before he died and he told me that um, and then so the story goes on well so then that um day (laughs) after I found my rings and I got dressed and was calling David I um was constantly calling him and then it was probably like an hour and a half and finally I got a phone call from Natalie and I I knew the phone number and I was like boy that's strange um so I picked it up and she said there's been an accident um and I'm like what and she's like yeah, there's been an accident. You need to come to the hospital. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, I, I can't tell you anything, but um, something's wrong with David. You got to come to the hospital. So I and what was your phone. what was your first? Sorry to cut you off, but what was your first reaction to that? Were you just because I know me, I was shocked. I was like, 
we just went through a year of, you know, this whole battle, this struggle to not even really keep dad alive. Dad was healthy. You know, we had multiple doctors tell us that he would live a long, healthy life. So when I, we, when I found out, I mean, I was in pure, pure shock. I didn't even believe it was real. Well, I didn't believe it was real, but I also didn't believe he had a heart attack and I didn't believe he died. I thought he was hit by a car running or something like that because <laughs> he was running from Emma's work back to, like I said, to get the truck. And I just kept thinking, that's it. He's just been hurt. Somebody's run into him. And um, so I went to get the car, but, and, and I got my son, Drew, and um, I said, we got to go. Your dad, something's wrong with your dad. He's at the hospital. And, and I ran outside and realized I had no car because <laughs> the truck was at Colony Tire and, and then my the dad was at Emma's work. Yeah. Um, so I called Natalie back immediately and I said, can you come get me? I, I can't, I have no way to the hospital. So it was just, it was really hard. We were sitting on the front porch waiting for her to drive up and she picked us up and I kept saying, what's wrong? And she's like, well, just wait till you get to the hospital. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, um, and for, but, for, you know, just also some, a little bit of context, um, my dad, they, Natalie, um, which I won't spoil the story for mom, but, um, they, they found him, he was dead in, in his truck, in our truck. So they said he came into the colony tire, he'd been running and he was talking to everybody. Natalie was there with her, her girls. Um, they had a tire problem. We're going to go to the beach and. Um, there were some other kids there that had gone to school at some point in time with my children were there. So there's a lot of people there that knew us. Um, but they it's said a very that, small town. Very he small said town. that, um, they said basically he'd come in, he was happy. He was jovial, fine, got in the car, put it in reverse. They saw the lights, the reverse lights on and then nothing happened. Um, so I think they ran out to the car and found him slumped over the driver's wheel. Yeah, now and they said it looked like, because um, they, they, the car had been in reverse for a few minutes before anyone really went up there to go, go get knock on the door or go in, because from what Natalie told us, it looked like the way his head was down, I guess, on the steering wheel, it looked like he was looking for something, like in the glove box or in the, in the side pouch another phone call <laughs> so anyway um yes so when she picked us up i really thought that um he was still alive and it was quite a shock when i showed up at the emergency room um, immediately a nurse was standing there and she said you need to come to this room and i knew right then and there he he was gone he had died and um it's one of the hardest moments of my life i know we i were can't together for 25 years it's okay to cry. I know I'm about to cry. I didn't have... He was my best friend. I didn't know what to do. I went home afterwards and I just wanted... I wanted to kill myself. But I, I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I just remember thinking, don't do it, Shelby. You've got three children that need you. But it, my life drastically changed from that day. It's just hard. You know, nobody can understand your feelings and... Uh, everything changed. I had to learn how to turn on leaf blowers, pay the bills. He would never let me touch the bills. You know, I mean, it was just un overwhelming. It was unreal. And to lose somebody that you love that much, it's, just, it's hard. I never expected that. I expected someday that we were going to have a farm and we were going to have horses and we were going to have a runway 
for our airplane, <laughs> John, and we were going to, I used to always think, oh, I was going to be upstairs, you know, in the kitchen, because we thought about building a bar with a house over top of it, and um, I'd be cooking dinner, having a glass of wine with the dog, whatever dog we had at that point in time, and David would come in, and we'd have a nice dinner and a bottle of wine, and that would be our retirement, you know, hanging out with the horses, living in the country, and um, that all just got... It got swept away. It, and also, when I when I quit to raise my children, um, I still lived through David. I lived through him, through him, like, as hanging on to the airline. I really missed it. I missed my job, but it was more important for me to stay home with my kids. And um, I felt like I lost that, too. I felt like I lost also my airline you lost, family. Yeah, you lost, <laughs> you lost your husband, but you lost a whole community. And, you know, I knew a lot of the pilots that he liked and his friends, and I knew that, you know, they were there for me when it all happened, but I knew it would fade away, and, um, and I would never be, again, part of that world. <laughs> so, I lost a lot that day. Um. You lost, you lost a friend, you lost a companion, you lost a husband, you lost security, you, yeah, you, you lost, I wouldn't say everything, because you do have three kids. I do, but, I did have my kids. Um, but you yes, lost pretty much everything. I lost a lot. And it was a totally new way of life, and I didn't know how I would react. Um, I was severely lonely, and, um... I just, I just felt like I couldn't live without somebody in my life by my side. It was really hard. It was really hard. Well, I think after being with someone for 25 years, it's completely understandable to feel that way. I can't, I could never imagine. I could never imagine. But, wow. Oh, God, Mom, thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, Gosh, is. I, I I don't even you know it's it's hard to get the words to come out of my mouth. It's like where do we even because this story is so big and there's so much detail and there's so much context that goes into this story. But I, you know, I, gosh, wow. So guys, I I again I just want to you know I want to give my mom Shelby a big big thanks. Um, you're welcome. You're dear. you're so incredibly brave and I admire you so much for everything you do but I really admire you for you know supporting me on this journey um I know it's it's got to be a lot to watch your daughter kind of it's not self-sabotage but it's I am you know putting everything on the line for this but um again thank you mom we're we're definitely not done here this will not be her first and only appearance um you know like i said this story is huge and there's so many people um you know that you know have a different side of that story and a different a different emotion from that day and um there's so much more of dad's story that hasn't been told so it's going to take episodes on episodes and you know we haven't even gotten into um Andy's story so we'll get there guys um anyways i i just want everyone to um just really listen to this with an open and clear heart um and i hope that this touches you in a way that it needs to but it won't be this will not be the last time Shelby is on the show but Shelby if there's anything that you'd like to say to everyone 
Um, I just would like you to share the story um, with as many people as you can. Um, we need to have a little bit of reform, I think, with the FAA and their medical issues. They are so old and antiquated. And so I, I just wish that more pilots could reach out and, and get the help they need because they're so scared. They're, they're scared of losing their jobs, not being able to support their families. And I saw it in my husband and it hurt him terribly. It hurt him. He was so worried. He couldn't provide for us and the kids and it made him vulnerable. Um, so please share and get the word out there. And, um, Thank you for listening. Thanks so much, guys. Stay tuned for questions. You guys stay tuned. Um, I'm actually not going to be doing questions this week. Some of y'all asked me some fantastic questions that are honestly worth the whole podcast episode. So if you guys just stay tuned, um, I will get to you guys. I promise. Um, and keep writing questions. And I'm going to be working on a website soon. And I'll I will get back to all of this, I promise, but I didn't want to ramble. I kind of just wanted to apologize that there will be no question segment this week. Um, My mom's story just felt really important. I kind of just wanted you all to take it in. So, anyways, (laughs) I'll be back. Back soon, next week. XOXO.